Welcome to the Platform Journey, where we explore what it takes to build a successful software platform company and get the ecosystem flywheel going. We will interview seasoned innovators who have traveled this road before and can help navigate the way and share their lessons. Well, welcome everybody. And today I'm really happy to have a, another fantastic guest, someone who I've known virtually for a few years. We actually, I don't think we've ever met face-to-face yet. Hopefully we can address that. Our guest today is Anu Bardwaj. Anu is Chief Operating Officer at Atlassian. And Anu, welcome. Thank you for making the time and uh, really good to see you. Thank you, Anish. Wonderful to see you again. Thanks so much for having me over. A lot of people know Atlassian has become, a, you know, in some ways, a household name, but a lot of people don't. So maybe let's just start with a bit of uh, both the company's history. It's got a very interesting history, just from account how it started, where it was originated, and so on. And then maybe a bit of your journey within the company as well. Let's just kind of set a bit of context there. Sure. Yeah. I love talking about Atlassian's story. So thanks for that question to start with. Atlassian's an Australian company. We're headquartered in Australia, originated in Australia back in 2003. The founding story is fascinating. It was a couple of Australian uh, guys, Mike and Scott, who decided hey, we're not going to work for a company because we see the people around us and they seem to wear these suits and ties and they're really not having a good time. So we want to go off and create this place where everyone would love to work and more importantly, where we're going to have fun and not feel like all the people around us that we see. Both of them are really strong product people, product thinkers. And so they started off Atlassian in Sydney Originally, they tried dabbling in a couple of services and they had built a tracking tool for themselves to manage their projects. And then they figured, oh, why don't we just sell this? It seems like this is really useful for a lot of the clients we talk to. And that's how Jira was born. So that was our first product. And even now, I think Jira is more well-known than Atlassian as a brand. And so that was really our flagship product. And from there... We added more products as we went along. Confluence was the second big product as Jira became really successful. I think one of the key strategic decisions in the history of the company was that we added a second product soon enough in the form of Confluence, which is the key like internal uh, knowledge sharing product and adding on a second product. And from there, uh, the company has gone through a number of different uh, milestones, creating a platform with a product line behind it, uh, multiple product lines. We've made a few acquisitions. And now really we are one of the biggest builders of digital collaboration tools with over 200,000 customers worldwide. We've had a very successful run as a public company so far. So it's been a fun ride for those of us that have been around for a while. Now, it's amazing, truly. And frankly, a lot of companies aspire to have their product or their name become a verb. <laughs> and Jira certainly has become a verb, right? There's no, no two ways about it. So fantastic background, the Australia connection. Sydney is definitely one of my favorite places in the world. Talk to me about your journey. You know, you've been with the company for a little while. You just took on this broader role. Give a bit of that background too, if you would. Sure. So I joined Atlassian back in 2014. I was at Microsoft. So I started my career as a developer 
Microsoft hired me straight out of school and my first job was building video games. I couldn't believe my luck. I was like, are you going to pay me for this thing? I, I will do this job for free. And so I did that for a year or so. For the first few years at Microsoft, I really got to try out building a lot of uh, different kinds of products and software. I eventually found my way to product management because really what moves me is solving customer problems and seeing the impact of my work on people. So I naturally gravitated towards that. I had built a few products and businesses for Microsoft in the Visual Studio division, primarily building for developers. So the developer tools like Visual Studio, Team Foundation Server, stuff like that, which was fascinating because developers are such a great audience to build for us. And I'm sure you will agree. Yeah. So fast forward in 2014, when I arrived in Atlassian, I have to confess, I did not know very much about the product and company, but they convinced me to come out to Sydney and like you, Sydney is my favorite place in the world to live in for sure. And when I got there, I met the team and I really felt like I belonged with them. They felt like my tribe. And, you know, a lot of companies talk about values and company values and living the values. And I thought, oh, this is just some marketing bullshit. Every company says this. But when I met the team, I was really taken by how much they lived the values. So the two founders have set that tone from the top. And people were really there to solve customer problems. It wasn't that they wanted to put the newest, coolest technology on their resume and move on. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, yes, this is the kind of people I want to work with. So I joined uh, Atlassian as the head of product for Jira. And the first two years was really going around the world, convincing people to move to Australia to construct a product management team because we had very few people at the time. We had about 400 people and I constructed the Jira team over two years and I led the platformization of Jira. So we went from being a single product to a platform which supported three product lines, Jira for software, Jira for IT people, and Jira for business people. And the very first thing I heard in the interviews that struck me was, I always thought of Jira as this bug tracking tool, project management tool used by software developers, but over 50% of our users came from non-technical teams, people who were not involved in writing code. And that was really amazing for me. I was like, oh, wow, this is an entire new set of use cases that we can unlock because we have a generic horizontal capability that's so useful across so many different use cases. And after the first couple of years, I decided to take a year off. I had worked for 12 years in tech and I thought I want a year off to do something completely different. So I took a sabbatical and went and worked with lions in Africa chased around cheetahs in Namibia, fitting GPS collars on them as part of an anti-poaching activity. And I went to Antarctica, worked with penguins, setting up uh, rookeries to track their population. Uh, It was fascinating. I'm a bit of an animal geek. So I did all the wildlife conservation projects that I wanted to do field work on that I'd only been able to support financially, but not really visit in the field. So that was a lot of fun. I did that for a year, but then I'd blown all my money and needed a real job. So <laughs> I came back to Plassian. The first thing I did there was work as the head of company strategy, head of strategy. And a key project at the time was our shift. How we shift our entire business from being an on-premise business to a SaaS company. Yeah, That was a huge pivotal moment for us. And to do that involved redoing technical platform, 
retooling our GTM engine, how we sell, re-educating our channel on how they sell and resell and offer services, and also explaining the financial impact to the street as a public company that is undergoing a transformation. It's never easy to explain the full picture and uh, be able to articulate the smallest details of how we go through that transformation. So over the past few years, really, I've led the cloud transition of Atlassian. We've gone from a company uh, where over 90% of our revenues were on-premise to now a company where over half of our revenues really come from cloud. And over 90% of our customers choose uh, our cloud products rather than on-premise. So that, that's been a fantastic journey overall. That's awesome. And I, I did not know the year in, in Africa and, and Antarctica. That is another amazing facet of, you know, how well-rounded leaders come about. So you already started talking a bit about this, but the platform strategy, right? You mentioned you came in as product manager owner for, for Europe, and then you talk about the platformization of that across different use cases. Talk a bit about the the rationale behind it. What was the what was the genesis of the idea? Was this a recognizing a certain pattern? How how did that come about? Just from a from a strategy perspective, I recall very distinctly. This was in my first year at Atlassian. I, I made a presentation to my Jira team showing the Ford Model T pictures and how Ford thought about platformizing. So I have uh, vivid memories from the time. Yeah. A few things really led to the confluence of this decision. One, like I said, our customers really pulled us in that direction where we launched this product thinking, hey, it's useful for workflow management in the scenario of software building, which was what we were internally using it for. But well over half of our customers were using it in completely different contexts, hiring, tracking, recruiting processes, help desk, customer service tracking. So these were use cases we hadn't quite envisioned the product to service, but customers were already using it for those use cases. So that was a clear signal that the product was capable of solving multiple problems that we hadn't really built the product specifically. Productized, right. Yeah. A second thing is that Jira is an enormously successful business. My early memories, I was shocked at how successful Jira was uh, in terms of not just financial metrics, because we were generating revenue at very low operating costs, because product was selling itself. We, we kind of pioneered product-led growth in the industry. But the thing with uh, a successful product is, what are you going to do to take it further on the path to success? It's great that you have a successful product and it's grown to a large degree, but what will bring the next inflection point of growth? And for us, a platform was an easy choice. If you look at technology history, a lot of successful products start off as single products and are able to then hit the next inflection point of growth by converting themselves into a platform and spawning off multiple other products. And the third thing that, a final thing that really brought this decision to focal point for us was our aspiration that we want to be a multi-product company. We are a company that's very much focused on teamwork. That's really our mission, unleashing the potential of teams worldwide. And teams really require multiple products and services. Teamwork is messy. So our inherent philosophy is that there is never going to be one vendor or one product that says we will do everything for teams that works for every single team. 
So we were sure that we have to exist in a multi-product universe, a multi-service universe. And the one strategy that really helps you leapfrog in a world like that is having a common platform and a common set of shared services that allows you to service multiple verticals together. So really, it was an amalgamation of these three reasons that we chose platform. So let's talk a bit about the implication of being a platform, right? So one is, you mentioned yourself, the the different internal products, right? That got to go to sit on top of that common platform. Then, of course, you already mentioned, hey, customers were already extending it, right? And building new, new, new use cases for recruiting or for other functional areas that was not part of your product strategy, right? So that's another customers doing custom work. And then also there is the third parties building with or on top of your platform. How do you think about those groupings from a, both again, a pattern and maybe prioritization? Where, where was the team's, what was the team's perspective on thinking about the internal within Atlassian use cases versus the customer custom development versus the third-party ISVs or others building around it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because often the two concepts are conflated around platforms and ecosystems, trying to disentangle them a little bit. In terms of platform that's extensible, two things that were salient for us in the journey for Atlassian. One was that there were already customers as well as um, independent software vendors that were building robust businesses by building extension points on top of Jira. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't necessarily something that we had uh, thought was going to be a substantial business, but one that grew organically because of the stickiness of the product. Existing Jira APIs, there were both customers as well as second-party vendors that were building extension plugins like time-sharing or software testing using Jira, tracking testing activity. Second, the reason that, that caught fire so much, one of the technical reasons was also that the way we built internally was very much with the model that we would want any internal Atlassian team that wants to extend versus an external developer that wants to extend to have the same experience. Mm. So we really thought about API-fying each of our components from first principles from day one. So any new thing that we would build into Jira, we would automatically ask the question of how easy is this to extend? What does somebody that wants to consume and build on top of this component want to do? So that really set up the product in a way such that a lot of power was exposed through extensibility. And therefore, just like the use cases turned out to be a lot broader than we thought, the ecosystem was almost exponentially broader than we thought because our extensibility APIs got consumed in various different ways. So let's talk about the third pillar, then the you know, the ISVs, right? You have a very active marketplace, right? So that's the ecosystem exposing that to your customers. And I think it's heralded as probably one of the most successful marketplace examples out there from a growth, from a consumption, from a uh, adoption perspective. How did that come about? And where does that kind of, how much of that was forethought? How much of that was, hey, started happening organically? And then you're like, oh, there's something powerful here. What was the, what was the, the thinking and the story behind that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And like all successful company stories, I think it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of uh, strategic insight at a time and also a, a good deal of community building and community making us successful. So just by means of uh, context, our um, marketplace currently has both on-premise and cloud apps. And because we are a multi-product company, it, it has applications for each of our different products. So there are Jira apps, there are Confluence apps, Bitbucket apps, and there are apps that work across platforms as well, uh, on-premise and cloud. So when we started out, like I said, when we platformized Jira, there was already a marketplace that was well-functioning and uh, well-used by our customers. So most of our customers install an app from our marketplace. A vast majority install more than one app from our marketplace. And so we've crossed about $2 billion in lifetime sales on our marketplace so far. Amazing, amazing. And we have about 5,000 apps right now from well over 1,200 partners. And we've gotten to this point through various stages. So to answer your question specifically, we started out with the notion that we were very clear that we would not be able to address the long tail of use cases that our customers required. And we wanted our customers themselves to be able to fulfill those by custom extensions and for ISVs to be able to build independent businesses on top of that. So when when we saw early signals that there were ISVs who were building businesses on top of it, and they would come back and they would very excitedly tell us, here's the next set of extensions we need. We can totally envisage a really big business that we can build on top of this. Here's what you guys should build for us. That was a great virtuous loop. So they acted pretty much like our extended team. And we would have very closely working teams to make sure that our extensibility points and distribution network also scale. Because one of the unique things about our marketplace is not just the technical extensibility, but our distribution network. At last, it's unusual in that we have 200,000 customers, not 2,000 customers for an enterprise software company. That's a really broad base of customers. And we self-serve. So our products are bought, not sold. And therefore, the extensibility plugins, the marketplace apps are also bought, not sold. ISVs to have that broad of a customer base, we really had to support them with self-serve. So the underlying billing engine uh, turned out to be a key foundational block for our marketplace where customers could come and buy a Zephyr plugin or a Tempo plugin without ever having to contact either Atlassian or the ISV themselves. You've, I think, frankly, and you mentioned this earlier in your comments around the product-led growth and that, frankly, uh, I think in some ways Atlassian created that. It is a, it's my, I mean, I've been in this business for a long time. I think that level of buy, not sell, it is something that is amazing, right? Truly. And the fact that you have to extend that to your ecosystem as another dimension of uh, kind of uniqueness and, and frankly, probably some complexity that you have to hide within the, the workflows and the processes to make that work um, as it does. Does that also, so putting again, the, the hat of an ISV on, is it required some self-selection or, you know, some ISVs are so built around the sales model and the POCs and the complex solution selling approach. Does that mean that the folks are coming to the Atlassian ecosystem and marketplace are a little bit more, have that mindset already that they're also PLG led and therefore they can fit into that both the marketplace and the, and the business model behind that? 
You know, that's fascinating. I used to have a thesis similar to yours when uh, maybe a few years ago, uh, when we were scaling up our marketplace. It's just easier if you're a product-led growth company to yeah. fit into our marketplace because it naturally matches the funnel that you're used to. Yeah. However, we saw a lot more companies who are used to the traditional top-down enterprise selling model mm-hmm. adopt this as a secondary channel and this quickly becoming their, their primary channel. Mm. So there were plenty of companies that also uh, were able to make that switch simply yeah. because of the broad distribution that we have. This, we're talking about tens of millions of users monthly active users, not total users, and 200,000 companies. Uh, When we say customers, we actually mean companies. So the overall denominator, the distribution base was really attractive for companies to come in and try out something new. And it it was broad enough for people to build a substantial business on top of. But there's also this interesting nuance of uh, third party. So when we think of our ecosystem, you were asking what kind of different segments do you think about? We think about first party, second party, and third party. So when we say first party, we mean Jira, Confluence, Trello, our own products. When we say second party, we mean people who extend these first party products. So time tracking built on top of Jira, smart tables built on top of Confluence, or potentially a vertical Jira for legal teams or Jira for recruiters kind of product. Third parties, we think of as an interesting newer use case over the past few years, third party companies, partners like Slack or Sneak who build security software. So these companies, typically they come with an enterprise top-down selling model. Right. We use our in-product distribution channel to be able to distribute them. So inside of a Jira ticket, we have a place where you can try out Sneak or you can try out Okta right inside the workflow. Right. And so it really offers an adjacent channel for a lot of these traditional enterprise-bound companies to then expand their... uh, funnel, uh, top of the funnel. And this has been pretty successful for us with third-party partnerships. So that has really helped us evolve from not just PLG companies, but also traditional enterprise companies trying to attach a secondary funnel. I know, phenomenal. I mean, fascinating, truly. I think you've, you've implied some of the key success factors. I do. There was a lot of internal alignment. There was the understanding of the use cases, kind of really the thought process that said, hey, API-fying and platformization of, of the core. I would assume a lot of it was just alignment across product and kind of the core marketing function and kind of how you, how you brand the company and so on. How was the other side of it? What were the challenges? What were the, as you went through that journey, what were some of the roadblocks that you would say were things that you had to really change the mindset of the culture, if any? I'm wondering what that, what, how that was like. Yeah, yeah. We're operators. Surely we know this is not as rosy as it sounds. Uh, so I'm going to divide my answer into two parts since we talked about both platform and ecosystem. Yeah. So the platform shift in my mind is a little different from the ecosystem shift. The platform shift involves building a set of shared services on top of which you can then quickly build verticals, quickly stamp out products because you now have such a strong foundation underneath you that you can service a lot of verticals yourself. So first party products, I mean. That shift was a hard shift 
for us. And I've gone through the shift even at my previous job at Microsoft. And there's always this tension between application teams or product teams and platform teams about how much to centralize, how much to put in the common foundation versus how much to build inside the product itself. And that's a good thing to have that tension, but boy, it can be really hard to uh, go through the execution of. Because product teams are always thinking, man, platform's slowing us down. They want to build all these things centrally. And the platform team's thinking, oh, products are all trying to build their own thing. It doesn't make any sense for us to have four notification platforms, four engagement platforms, and three services that do the same thing in different ways. So there's a natural tension to balance there. And that, I think, it took us a couple of years to make that shift. We swung the pendulum, uh, both sides. We went too far into platform, too far into product, and kind of learned our way to the middle, to the balance across product and platform. In terms of ecosystem shift, it's one layer of complexity on top of that, because with the platform shift, it was all internal developers who had to understand the balance and make that balance uh, work for their daily life. But once we are externalizing the platform and now there are people building on top of your APIs, you can't make breaking changes. Uh, so you're kind of stuck in a place where any breaking change is expensive, but you also want to move fast. So there's that tension between innovation and maintaining backward compatibility. That was uh, an interesting challenge for us to solve, especially in light of our cloud transition. Right. So with us, we had this framework called P2, which worked well in an on-premises world. And we had to completely rebuild a new extensibility framework called Connect in the cloud world. And now uh, our uh, external developers had to really choose between the two things. And uh, Andrew Chen describes this really well in his uh, new book, The Cold Start Problem, which is for a network product, for a network-based product like a marketplace, there's always the chicken-egg problem. So a lot of our business was on-prem and plenty of our uh, extensibility developers, marketplace partners had built on top of the P2 platform. But then now Atlassian was saying, cloud is the future. We're all going to go to cloud. Here's this brand new connect framework. You guys have to build on top of this. And now vendors have to choose between, but there's inertia here. Customers are here. And now you're asking me to invest in this new platform and I have to make this jump. And for some time, I have to actually maintain both. Both, Because right. inertia is here, but momentum's gathering here. Yeah. And so that was a challenge. So we had to work through in terms of how do we change take rates? How do we incentivize more of our marketplace partners to build on the new platform? Uh, what can we do to help them? For example, we ran CodeGaze developer programs. We have a market developer fund to help kickstart more development on the newer cloud platform. So making that transition was a definite challenge we had to solve in the ecosystem side. Fascinating. I mean, I talk about replacing the engine while the plane is flying. But again, I think you're probably one of the best examples of that transition from on-prem to cloud. So kudos to the team because those of us who've been through that know that it's not easy. And, you know, not all, not all planes keep flying. So fantastic story there. You've given us a fantastic picture of the transition, the journey, kind of the, how you've defined success. If you were to talk to someone else who is thinking about this similar platform plus ecosystem mindset, what kind of guidance would you give them? And you, obviously, you had some unique elements within the, you know, the Atlassian journey. 
customers already doing some of that, third parties kind of extending it. But if you step back a bit, what lessons? How should people embark on this journey, if at all? And it doesn't apply to everybody. But if they do, kind of what what are the uh, Anu's top two or three lessons from, from the journey? That's a great question. Having done this a few times, it's fascinating to sit back and reflect on what are lessons from that whole experience. When thinking of a platform, the one common pattern I see is a lot of products aspire to be a platform. And to your point, that's not necessarily the right answer for every product. There's no need to platformize every single product. So I think one lesson would really be to be very clear why you want to build a platform. Is this really an area which requires horizontal capabilities that then you can build vertical applications or use cases on top of? Is there a long tail that requires self-serve or other people to build solutions on top of your platform or not? Um, Identifying that is helpful because platforms an expensive and patient strategy. It's not for the faint of heart. So it's not something that you pivot in a year and then you start seeing results immediately. So it's helpful to be really thoughtful about the why. Is there space for platform here? And is that really the foundation of your product strategy? A second one is that strategy is great, but execution matters a lot, right? No strategy is better than its execution. So Executing on platform comes with its own set of problems. It's one layer of abstraction that you add on top of your current execution. So, Because you're now not only building for your own use cases, your own internal developers, you're also building for an external set of use cases, an external set of developers, and your end consumers. So really the complexity grows exponentially. And it's really important to think about how you will handle execution and complexity while implementing that strategy. Be ready to grind, I would say. It's not <laughs> easy. Yeah. The third one on um, the ecosystem, building an ecosystem itself, like I was saying, marketplaces are network problems. So they come with a unique set of problems. If you want to build a marketplace product, you've got to think about what, how many sided marketplace are you really trying to build? Who are the different consumers? What does the supply-demand equation look like? Which is the hard side that you want to develop for? So really, all the classic problems that come with the marketplace. But fundamentally, as a leader, I would say the crux of it that I find many people really have to viscerally internalize when they build a marketplace is you have to lead with heart. On a successful platform and marketplace, developers are really building their careers and livelihood on you. So it's a big responsibility. So you got to take that seriously. Uh, but at the same time, that's what makes working on a platform so rewarding, uh, constructing an ecosystem so rewarding because you're fundamentally creating a win-win situation. That really thrills me as a person. I, I really get energized by that. Uh, and it's helpful to remember that there is there are actual people. There's a real human on the other side of it. Now, that, that warms my heart because, again, uh, having done a few of these, I think you're we're 100% aligned on that. I think that is exactly the, it's very hard. It's not for everybody. Like I said, it's not for the pain of heart, but when it comes together, it's pretty magical. And uh, it creates, you know, tremendous, not just, you know, economic value for sure, uh, but really kind of business value and, and, and frankly, happy customers, which is kind of the, the end goal, right? I know this has been fantastic. I truly, truly can't say enough how much I appreciate this. Any final thoughts? 
No, this has been fantastic, Anish. Thank you for the chance to talk to you about this. I remember a couple of years ago coming to you for advice on what to do with our marketplace, and you've built this a few times at a mind-boggling scale. So it's really been an honor to chat with you about this. Well, thank you. No, and uh, truly, it is fun to see how far it's come. And uh, thank you for the, for the very kind words. Thank you for joining us on this leg of the platform journey from Tidebark a growth equity firm purpose-built to help companies win and scale. For more insights, subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.tidemarkcap.com slash the platform journey.